Welcome to episode 96 of the ASC podcast with John Gailey for March 20th, 2020. We're recording live from our studio in Spenceport, New York. Um, we would like to thank our sponsors, Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, Surgical Information Systems, and Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions. And we do have one more uh, new sponsor. It's not in the script. It's BHG Funding joined us yesterday. Okay, and BHG Funding. Um, for more information about our sponsors, please visit our website. This is Sue Cronkite, Chief Researcher for ASC Podcast and Senior Nurse Consultant for the Ambulatory for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, and I'm with John Gailey, who's recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. And joining us remotely from Rochester, New York, Jenna Alvarez, Senior Nurse Consultant with AHS, Alex Borneman, Director of Operations with AHS, and Judy D'Ambrosio. Director of Educational Services with AHS. From Cape Cod, Massachusetts, Lori Rodericks, Director of Clinical Services for AHS. And from Atlanta, Georgia, Zach Kalaritis, Financial Consultant with AHS. And uh, uh, Ann Geyer is also available online. So uh, uh, she's standing by in case we have some questions for her. Uh, this is, uh, we're, we're just kind of going uh, off the cuff right now. So the reason we're live, even though we had hoped not to go live today, is because the governor uh, went on at uh, uh, 11 o'clock today and issued an executive order. Basically, the order uh, indicated that um, we're that 100% of the businesses in the state of New York are to uh, to shut down, uh, with some exceptions. Um, at this point, those exceptions are being defined, but healthcare is one of those exceptions. The issue is going to be that uh, at the same time that he issued this order, he indicated that all non-elective surgery should be stopped. Uh, we have asked for more specific guidance, and it will be forthcoming as, uh, and uh, again, our, our, our governmental consultants, the New York State Association, uh, all have been asking for uh, guidance on this. So I'll give you some my, some of my, uh, my feelings in a, in a bit. Uh, the biggest uh, issue that is work that the, the Department of Health is working through right now is trying to find ways to expand surge capacity. In other words, trying to convince, uh, and, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to convince uh, the uh, uh, the healthcare industry that ASCs are here to take what the hospitals need to stop doing. So as we uh, as we go into this uh, shutdown or as we start trying to figure out ways to increase the capacity of the hospitals to do those things that are directly related to taking care of patients that have uh, come uh, that have been affected by COVID nineteen, we hope to uh, that that we'll be able to take off all of those responsibilities that the hospital has for doing cases that could be done in a surgery center. Uh, we so I want to emphasize here. So a, a big question was asked to me minutes after that um, that uh, conference call. Or I'm sorry, after that uh, the governor's uh, uh, the governor's announcement is should I shut down? And in in talking to a number of our clients, including some of our uh, uh, um, orthopedic uh, uh, centers, the doctors pointed out how. Uh, they might sound like they're uh, elective procedures, but there are some ramifications for, uh, you know, not uh, not shutting down those types of cases. So here's our best advice right now is that we as uh, physicians should be the ones that are making decisions about what cases are elective versus non-elective. But we, we need to make sure that we're not pushing the limits on that. So, I mean, if if you know, like plastic surgery, let's face it, most of the plastic surgery, um, you know, breast augmentations, for example, at this point, I think we can all agree, perhaps, maybe not, but perhaps that uh, that's uh, that's an elective procedure. And I want you to, um, uh, I do have somebody calling in, hang on one second. Um, and, and I think we have to be very careful uh, that we don't overstep our, uh, our 
you want to be sure that if that you come off as as authorities to make that decision whereas if you're not making good decisions somebody else may take over that that's right that's exactly you. right uh, we have spent a lot of time uh, providing information for you as to how to uh, to document any decision you make it is extremely important that you uh, document in board meetings how, uh, what the decision making process was uh, and again on our website we have forms that can help you do that so you need to hold an emergency board meeting we've done uh, for today alone, uh, document those uh, those meaning uh, the the uh, the decisions that were made in that uh, that meeting, um, and and Lisa's online. Hang on one second, Lisa. I'm going to let you in. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for joining us. Hi, John. Um, so we were just talking about some of those decision making processes that uh, we need to uh, to go through. So documentation of your decision. Um, can you handle some of those? Uh, documenting uh, some of those, documenting those decisions in your governing body minutes, uh, making a, using one of the forms that we've uh, put on the website to document every single uh, uh, decision that you, uh, I'm sorry, every case that you decide to do and, and have decided is not elective is absolutely critical at this point. The governor has indicated that uh, there are going to be, uh, you know, civil penalties, uh, and uh, perhaps even uh, uh, shut down orders uh, by the state if they feel that you have not uh, made the right decision. Now, we do feel like healthcare has been uh, is one of those um, those areas that's exempt. But again, it's not a it's not a blanket exemption because they have also at the same time said that uh, that, that that you should not be doing uh, elective procedures. I have a whole bunch of questions. Mm -hmm. Let's try to take some of them one at a time. Go Sue. Okay. Um. So, Christina wanted to know, what is elective versus emergent? And again, those decisions uh, are, at this point, being made by the physician. Let the physician determine what he determines is uh, what he feels is elective versus emergent. And, and the having question, a lot to do with, with how serious would be a postponement, how right. they will, you know, how this the long -term effect prognosis would be. and Correct. that kind of thing. She's also wondering about... What about urology procedures, which is probably the same type of thing? I, I would say the same answer, and yeah. I think that it probably was urology more so than that, that, that particular center also does eye mm -hmm. cases. Urology more so than probably eyes, unless you're talking about retina procedures, are probably uh, more likely to be uh, uh, not elective. Um, I, have a, I, have, I have just a piece of that, John. If I sure, can. sure, go, please. Um, so when we just finished a conference, a conference call with the ambulatory surgery centers for New York State, we said, if, can you not do a procedure? What does it mean to not, if you don't do this procedure, there could be harm. And I right. think if you really drive down, if you dive down into the weeds with that question, I think then you'd be following the intent of the governor. Right. Well said. And, and another question, which following up on that is, um, Stephanie wanted to know, what about GI? And I guess... It's the same kind of thing. There may be some screenings that can be put off, but if somebody's having heavy bleeding um, or, you know, suspicion of a very serious disease, then you'd, right. you would probably be able to do it. So it's going to be just procedure by procedure based on the patient and... That, that's right. Uh, and, and I think when it comes to GI, now I, I heard uh, Annie and Annie, if you're on uh, also, it might be interesting for you to call in too. Uh, Annie is with uh, Physicians Endoscopy. And I understand that Physicians Endoscopy is pretty much closing down uh, many, if not all of their um, uh, of their sessions. We are getting we tons of questions, questions here. They want to know, do yeah. we need to restrict to urgent only by Sunday? And I believe that is what he's saying. Yes, and again, I think that the term urgent hasn't been yeah, defined. So, I, I, I mean, and none of this has been fine. Again, repeating what I've said before, uh, it's 
the decision at this time is still in the hands of the physician as to determine what is an uh, elective versus a non-elective. Those are the terms that we're using right now is elective uh, versus non-elective or essential versus non-essential. So try to use those, those, um, those terms when you're making this. I don't think we have a problem with you uh, uh, defining things you know, as broadly as you might want. Just kind of use common sense. Um, Sunday would be the effective date. Uh, that is yes. that is correct, right, um, Lisa? Yes, yes. Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I, I do want to mention another thing is that I, I think what we're we're heading for right now is a, a, an acknowledgement that we're probably going to be uh, uh, slowing down our procedures or terminating our procedures. But um, as Lisa talked about before uh, during her session, and which I believe has been the case all along, is that at some point the we're going to be demand. Uh, we're going to we're going to need to be part of the solution here, as hospitals are focusing purely on taking care of those patients that have um, um, uh, those patients directly related uh, that are have uh, problems directly related to COVID nineteen. They're not going to have time. They're not going to have the staff. They're not going to have the resources to be able to do uh, surgery uh, because there are going to be surgical cases that have to be done uh, that are urgent. Um, we might not be the ones that are doing them right now. They might normally be done in the hospital. And I think we're going to have the hospital start calling upon us. And, and Lisa mentioned, and I agree, that we want to start to be proactive with the hospital and with your local emergency services and saying, hey, listen, don't forget we're here and uh, we're willing to take things on. Now, part of that could very well be um, that, uh, oh my goodness, I'm sorry, I blocked it. Um, Oh, that could very well be that uh, the uh, your nursing staff, uh, you know, the hospitals are going to say, "Listen, I, I need your nursing staff over here." Um, yeah. So keep in mind that be careful about what you ask for when you um, when you contact the hospital. Uh, and Jackie wanted to know if this includes ASCs in New York City as well, and I believe it is. It's state the entire state. Yes. Yeah, there, there's yes. a New York City versus yeah. upstate. Uh, and it sounded anymore. like they were even going to be. They're drawing in the neighboring states, so I I think this is going to be pretty broad. Um, um, I, one point, one point, John, in regards to the uh, in, in the evaluation and reaching out. Um, one of the things that's really critical in the emergency preparedness, like field and your pandemic flu planning is really looking at a regional approach. And, and so some of the New York state groups, um, the ambulatory surgery centers have been great where they're saying, hey, you're down the street from me, you're a sister facility, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna shut down to a skeleton true. You, they're gonna close and we're gonna work together. Right. The same thing's gonna go for what is the, what are you hearing from your local health department or your Office of Emergency Management, if you heard, haven't heard from them and you haven't heard from the hospital, it's also really important. You are probably part of their their surge capacity to also just send an email um, or call into them. You may not hear from them right away, but as they start to roll and peel the onion on this, um, you may be getting involved. So um, I think look to your regional uh, as well as just the state. Um, for, for capacity. And we have, uh, we've put a letter uh, or uh, a recommended letter up on our website, ASCpodcast.com mm -hmm. that you can send by email or by uh, carrier pigeon, whatever to your, uh, to your hospital and to your regional office, to, just to remind them. It's important not only that you contact them and if you can't get a hold of them in person to tell them not only that you're there, but also what capabilities you have so that they know uh, they can start thinking about that. Okay. And Alex, did you have a comment about New York city? Yeah. So for New York city, we can't forget that the executive order from 
Mayor de Blasio is still in place. That's correct. That would be effective on Friday. So you, you have an earlier date. In New York. Okay. Good point. Good. Thank you. Yes, definitely. Um, I feel uh, we're, Lisa, kind of uh, reiterating some of the comments you made, but at least now, now you're here to, uh, to alliterate, you know, to, uh, to, uh, to add additional color to it, if I, uh, if I don't say it correctly. Um, so as, as Lisa said, be very careful about pushing the limits on defining the cases that you're doing. Uh, Jeffrey uh, called in and said, uh, he, he, and I think this is a great idea, uh, it's a great idea to create a log of all of the patients that you have decided not to do so that you can document that you're, you're, you're going both ways here. Um, and of course, if you have a log that has nothing on it, then you're going to have a hard time um, uh, you know, justifying that your decision-making process. So definitely create a log. Uh, Judy, when you have a chance, can you create a new log for, for that? And, and we'll post it up on the website to give people an example. And another question. Um, and thanks, everybody, for all these questions. That's great. So uh, Fergie wanted to know, regarding equipment and supply, she's basically asking, um, I'll just read it. I'd assume every unit would be stocked with what it needs but are they at the stage yet where you may be told, okay, this place is getting overwhelmed, we need to take your equipment away and put it where it's needed more? Or is it a case of what you have stays with you um, unless you offer it up as long as... Um, Great question. So yeah. one thing that we did get from the governor's um, conference this morning was he indicated that if you have... Uh, ventilator units, uh, please call them. They gave an 800 number. I did post that 800 number on the uh, the morning update. Um, and, and, you know, please call them and offer it up. I, I think they did say that there'll be reimbursement for it, uh, either uh, sell it to them or uh, rent it to them, but they need it desperately. And of course, uh, we have to be careful because most of us don't really have the ventilator type units that they're looking for there. We have units that, you know, you know would last for only a short period of time. I mean, attaching a, using a ventilator on an anesthesia machine, uh, you know, for long-term care of a patient is really, really not the ideal situation. So I'm not sure how much that really affects us. Any, any observations from my staff about that or any additional comment, Lisa? No, I think you're correct. But to your point, um, anything goes here, you know, under 1135, uh, yeah. you know, the government can step in and, and say all kinds of things. Good news under 1135, it has to be in writing, it has to be very specific. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lisa has uh, said that she's in constant contact with the department and uh, uh, to make sure, and thank you, Lisa, you've done a great job in making sure that they know we're here and that we're ready to help out. Um, and and Lisa also mentioned that the regional office is the front lines of this, so it's important that you contact your regional office. Uh, we're, Lisa, the New York State Association, and uh, you know all of us are, are are kind of dealing things at the state level, but your local office is ultimately the one that's going to be making a lot of these, uh, these decisions. Um, so I guess one big comment I want to make is that in a short term right now, I think we are looking at either the possibility of shutting down or limiting our services, but in the long term, we're going to be called upon to come back online uh, for whatever. It, it, and it could be because the hospital is asking us to take on cases. Maybe they're coming to us and asking us to be a collection point. Uh, you know, we, we have to be ready for any type of a situation. And one comment that was made uh, or one thing that I, I need to point out is that be very careful with how you, if you are going to shut down, if you are going to limit, if you're going to take, uh, if you're going to uh, let employees go during this time frame, be very careful about the terminology that you use. Work with your lawyer, you know, work with your benefits company because uh, the proper terminology is probably a furlough as opposed to a layoff. A furlough is a temporary uh, stoppage 
uh, of an employment, basically where you are, uh, you're acknowledging that person is going to come back at some time in the future. And the reason for that is from a regulatory standpoint, if you lay somebody off and then bring them back on board, technically you need to go through that whole onboarding process again. You have to fill out all that paperwork. You're going to have to, uh, uh, you know, get all the payroll information redone. You're probably going to have to do new orientation, et cetera. So uh, if you intend to bring those people back at some point, uh, furloughing is the, is the proper terminology. The other thing with furloughing is I understand from my legal people is that you're generally, uh, first of all, you're, you are uh, able or eligible to take unemployment insurance and your healthcare benefits uh, continue at least during uh, that time frame of the uh, the furlough. I'm not sure how long that goes, uh, but that would, and I think most of us uh, are hoping, I hope most of our employees are hoping that they can, um, uh, that they, they want to maintain that coverage for their employees during this difficult time so that it's very quick to be able to bring them back on board. Um, should we have a review process on all cases by an MD specializing in that area? I think the question there is leading down to how, how are you going to, I, I, I'll, I'll read, I'll, I'll state that I think what it comes down to is I don't know that you have to have multiple doctors making a determination as to whether it is uh, uh, elective or non-elective at this point, uh, based on the most current information I have. Uh, so I, you know, let's not let's not overburden our process here. Uh, let's recognize that doctors certainly should have the ability to make a determination on their own without having to consult other individuals. Other questions anywhere? Nope. Any uh, other comments at this point? Where I, well, as I check on my uh, my notes, we are uh, we we have a huge audience here. Thank you. Um, so uh, if we have questions and you've been sending them in, if somebody wants to call in and ask a question, you know, feel free to do that. If you do call, sometimes if you text first, or if we don't, if we don't have your name and we don't recognize your name, because we, we the last time we, spam. yeah, last time we did this, we got some people that we mm -hmm. didn't really want to have on the air. So, <coughs> sorry about that. Okay, while we're waiting for questions, which go uh, ahead, we just got one. Let's see. Just want to read through quick. I know it's not ideal, but field hospitals are very possible and will most likely happen. But maybe prepared to go to one and then you have your team that you work with that may need to follow then you may arrive and not have the right conditions or tools to work with can you turn it down or are you obligated i guess if, if you're called into emergency service and yeah. you're not comfortable with what you're doing or where you're going can you turn that down yeah i i, I mean they can't force you i mean they can force they can take over your place your operation, but they can't force you as a individual to do things that, mm. uh, you know, are outside of your scope yeah. or you're not comfortable with or where you feel you can't do. And they are looking for people to go work in hospitals or, you know, either come back from retirement right. or go there if your center is closed. But again, that's something you've got to sort of volunteer for. I've used this term before, the highest and best use. That's one thing that we have to remember here is I, when we've been talking about the possibility of our centers being turned into places where uh, uh, patients are taken care of as a intensive care unit, we're really not the ideal uh, solution for that. Uh, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers is looking for old hospitals that they're reactivating, uh, military bases. Um, I believe uh, hotels, old hotels are being uh, reactivated. I can't remember all the things that are on that list. It was a huge list. Oh, uh, schools, you know, colleges. You know, they're going to want to be able to concentrate people in a, you know, a very, uh, in, a, in a large area where you can, you know, concentrate all of your nurses. They're going to want to manage 150 surgery centers. I think our best use, our highest and best use is going to be taken on those surgical cases maybe collection units and things like that. What steps are um, any surgeries under ophthalmology? I think he, accidentally, he, he meant what, what surgeries 
um, under ophthalmology would qualify as emergency surgery. And again, I don't know if it's emergency surgery or be. Yeah, again, it's uh, elective versus non-elective. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, uh, in my view, having uh, run an eye surgery center in the past, uh, I can't imagine uh, anybody questioning you about doing it, uh, retina procedures, for example, uh, because uh, the danger uh, there is quite imminent, or somebody that has a dopamitis. Um, I think uh, cataract surgery, I think we, I don't know. I, I mean, personally, I feel that um, um, that that's elect. It's not elective, but it's something that can be postponed into the yeah. future. If something, if delaying something will really negatively affect your sight, it's not that if you do it in two months from now, there'll be a worse outcome or risk. Right. Then Somebody just mentioned glaucoma could. surgery, for mm -hmm. example. I believe that would be uh, important also to yeah. relieve the pressure on the eye. If I yeah. remember my eye surgery days. Yes. Thank you. Uh, other questions. Uh, let me see. We are oculoplastic. We have decided malignancy, active infection, and vision threatening or potential blinding condition. I agree. Sounds right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, anything uh, related to uh, uh, cancer in general, something that you can do in order to uh, stop the spread or the, uh, the increase in the uh, danger to the patient? Um, I don't know that term. I can't pronounce it. Sue? Anisometropia patients. I guess I can't pronounce it either. Um, does any of my staff? Anisometropia patients. Might be helpful. Uh, oh, and might not be. Off balance. Okay. No. Okay, I don't know. I don't think it's. Okay. Uh, Anne uh, Geyer, uh, if, if you can call in, you might help too, just as some of these questions come up, especially these procedures that I can't pronounce. That The word, you, the one you can't pronounce is when two eyes have unequal reactive power. Um, so, I guess one is myoptic, one is dioptic. So that's what that means. Um, okay. And then she said off balance after first cataract. So maybe she's saying then that was a. And you're on also. I am on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, Anna, I didn't know what that was. State. Thank you, Lori. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. Uh, she's saying. So I would, I guess, what would be our thought on that? Need, uh, They're so needing a second procedure to kind of fix an, a problem. That Mary, has, uh, Mary, can you call in? If being off balance after a first cataract, does that mean that the lens isn't seated well? And if is that going to yeah, cause yeah. problems for the vision? Yeah. I believe that means that they've done one eye, but they're mm -hmm. Trying to do the second one. Mary DeMauro is on. She's our uh, regional expert on uh, eye surgery cases. Hey, Mary. Mary, can you hear us? Mary, unmute your microphone. <laughs> okay. Well, Mary's icon is here. What's <laughs> that? Um, She's live. John, I will say that I've, I've had a number of my eye centers say that they're, they're considering the second eye to be non-elective. I think you're talking about a uh, second eye uh, um, cataract procedure, right? Yeah, I think this is yeah. something different. Yeah. And again, yeah. I'm sorry, I don't yeah. understand. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Thank you, Mary. Okay, sorry. Um, you know, technical difficulties. Um, Yes, I've, we had this discussion with our physicians, and um, we actually this week had had uh, some of the docs had pulled in all their second eyes for the exact the anisometropia issue, 
and we sent them off because in most instances they are not essential because the um, the planned second eye could be treated with a contact lens. So so they are not they are not considering it that much. You'd have to be entirely off balance and like potential accidental um, damage to yourself. So uh, it would be a rare instance that that would be essential. Thank okay. you. I, I did get a, I, I'm actually looking at my YouTube feed here. Let me see if I can, I can't get the microphone at the same time. Um, does anybody else read it? Um, so we are being guided that there are no more tests available to determine action or to determine COVID-19 testing. Uh, if your staff is exposed to someone probable or unconfirmed COVID-19 in this time, uh, there are really no regulations regarding mandatory quarantine. What is your thought regarding this issue? I have a, I have a comment on that. Um, so, John, I think it, there, it came up today at the governor's press conference that there was questions regarding not having enough tests. Um, the, what I'm telling folks is reach out to the local health departments, and then there is also a number for the Department of Health. Um, I would contact them because there are more tests, okay. and they will rectify that situation. If someone has been exposed, there is guidance on the Department of Health website that um, where you have to actually confine them until they have symptoms. They also put out a second letter um, if anyone needs it, that's specific for healthcare workers. So, John, if uh, if anyone wants that, just you can just send me an email, and I'll get that out to you. Yeah, and I, I believe Jenna, we've posted that. We posted that yesterday. Yes, didn't uh, did we not? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yes. Okay. okay, thank you. Okay, good. Yeah, that's the return to work letter. Correct. And I, I did get a question from um, one of our listeners here. Please email that as well. Email me that as well. Please uh, go to our website. Uh, you are one of our clients, and, and uh, um, uh, Alex, it's Jackie. Um, if you can email that to her, but please, uh, you know, keep an eye on our website. I know it's starting to get pretty big because there's a lot of information posted up there. But that's uh, um, a good way of doing. It. Brian, Brian, uh, do you believe that non-elective applies to offices as well? That is a great question because we've been focusing so much on ASCs. And Brian, if you want to call in, feel free. Uh, this is uh, uh, my friend Brian from uh, New York City. Uh, um, so this is something at least I haven't been paying a lot of attention to. And I don't know if you've been focusing the office side. Mm -hmm. uh, I have not, but um, I will say that office space. I think I think the same stands true. Um, even though they're, you know, you, it's not, you're not technically an, if you're not an Article 28, um, but I would say the same stands true, especially being prudent in this in this time. Hey, John, it's Brian. Welcome. <laughs> uh, welcome, Brian. How are you? I think that what's happening, I think the reason I asked the question is I have a lot of surgeons who are thinking of circumventing the order by potentially <laughs> going to other OBS locations. And my my comment to them is the order from the governor seems to be a little bit more wide-reaching to me than, than simply just going after facilities. I think he's he's making an order that's more broadly reaching and saying don't do non-elective procedures, don't do elective procedures at all. I just don't know if he has the authority. Does he think he has the he authority? Does. He does. He does. Okay, good. He I'm does glad. have the authority. Yeah, he does. <laughs> and I, I, I do believe um, that he, he actually made a point of in, in everything that he has said over the last week or two weeks, he has never really emphatically said anything about uh, enforcements and fines. He definitely did say that today. 
a couple different times. So I would say, uh, and he does have the reach. Okay. Um, uh, Helen uh, Longworth is also on. Uh, Helen, if you want to call in, because I think you had some observations um, on the uh, on the GI side, because I think this is kind of important too. Uh, Helen is with uh, Physicians Endoscopy, has one of the centers in New York. Um, thank you for the feedback there, at least, because we do realize that a lot of our uh, clients, or I'm sorry, a lot of our centers uh, also are affiliated with physicians' practice. Mm -hmm. Okay, Ann went offline, but I did. Um, okay, any question? Hey, Brian, any other observations, uh, especially from, uh, from that standpoint? No, I think from the GI side, we've been making our, our, our physicians understand that they really have to push off anything that's non, you know, uh, not even urgent to a, a later date. Uh, most of them are complying. Some of them are difficult, but they seem to be getting it. From our, from our ophthalmology center in uh, Brooklyn, just like the uh, previous person mentioned, we have been unable to make a case for cataract surgery for the most part to be anything but elective. Um, we're probably going to try and maintain a, a reduced schedule for surgery, that more like glaucoma-based surgery. We don't do retina, but there are cases of glaucoma that do need to be done. Um, other than that, we're, we're probably going to be shut down for the most part. And, and preparing for whatever might happen in the future with uh, regard to the, the highest and best use of your facility moving forward. Yeah, I mean, we in our in our endoscopy center, we don't have any ventilators clearly, and, and I, but right. I think that from I think the center itself is geared towards. It certainly could handle some capacity if they wanted to take over. You you've seen the center, the one right. in Brooklyn. We do have three ventilators. We I don't think they're good for long term use. We did reach out to hospitals and offered it to them, and believe it or not, they were like they weren't interested. And um, yeah. they finally they finally did call us today, so they probably are interested. But that was after the governor's order, because I think they realized that the governor's making a reach, trying to grab all the ventilators. They might as well take them before he gets his hands on them. So, okay. Uh, so we have a bunch of things that will, as we're waiting for questions, and please, any questions you have, send it to us in whatever way. We'll answer it as we go along. Um, Oh, here it is. Uh, do we need to report under night ports if we are not closing but only doing urgent cases? The answer to that, uh, to the best of my understanding, well, it, it is no. You do not have to report the night ports unless you're actually shutting down. So, uh, Jenna, actually, you read something into the uh, night ports reporting um, <laughs> that might actually uh, change that, right? I thought that was Alex. Oh, Alex. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh if you're changing your operations in any way due to the emergency, you should be reporting to NYPORTS. Um, however, since this is a developing situation and we don't want everyone reporting multiple times for the same emergency, um, we recommend that it, it's best to wait till the end of the emergency for anybody that hasn't, isn't actually shutting down to report. So that way you get the full extent of the emergency that you're actually reporting. Right. And I don't think at this point, given that the uh, that Nightports barely reports anything back to us anyway, um, uh, in, in general, I don't think anybody's going to be spending a lot of time looking at that. I, I think the only comment I'd make there, though, I, I, if I were uh, in health right now, I'd be probably looking at Nightports to be able to determine who has shut down already. Um, so that might, at least at that point, you know, be a good source of information as, uh, as places start uh, uh, going offline. Right. Any other questions? Okay, we'll continue to monitor that. I did want to, as you start making decisions about what your uh, 
going to do? In other words, what what uh, uh, if you're going to furlough employees, lay them off, um, keep them on their payroll, but tell them not to come in? Here's some things that you need to be thinking about. Employees that must mean uh, must need uh, to remain employed. Uh, obviously, you're going to have to have somebody at very high levels in the organization. You can't furlough your administrator and expect them to continue doing um, some type of work for your operation because the minute you uh, give a phone call to them, they're no longer on furlough. Uh, so you're, you're going to have to maintain some very base level operations, uh, including the ability to respond to whatever uh, comes from the government or local hospital. Um, um, and noises. I know I'm getting some funky noises in the system yeah. here. Uh, so they might not need to be employed full time, but they're going to have to be available. Uh, so consider uh, who who you're also going to need to you know to continue to pay the bills because those bills some of them are are still going to have to be paid. You're going to want to still collect money because that's going to be important. So maybe your billing staff and your your follow up staff will have to stay online uh, to do that. Um, John, uh, John, John, if you might, can I jump in for a second? Yeah, please do. Um, with the order of, uh, that he just gave of a one hundred percent. Um, of personnel need to be uh, off-site. Um, I know that I know that he's exempted healthcare. What about the administrative offices that are, that are not technically healthcare? I mean, like for example, I, I have inventory people. If they're not here, who's going to who's going to receive those products? I mean, there are still things showing up. I, I don't think it's a realistic thing to expect one hundred percent of the staff to not be in, on site. I, I correct, and I can't think that's the point I was trying to get to here. Is that uh, you're going to need staff? You're going to need staff in order to be able to, you know, to be able to start to ramp back up again. I would consider something like uh, supplying the organization in the anticipation that you're going to have to start operations again at some point uh, to be critical. Uh, and again, documenting all of these things is extremely important part of this process here. Make sure that you uh, document your decision making process and uh, put it in writing. And Brian, you know. The governing body minutes. You know, I'm sure your governing body is meeting, you know, constantly right now, um, and uh, you know, documenting that in those minutes will uh, will be very helpful. I can't stress enough the importance of, you know, having a good documentation trail, especially you know, and and there's a potential in the future that we're going to be reimbursed for some of these things that we're doing here, uh, as Lisa has pointed out. Uh, so making sure you're you're maintaining good uh, information in that regard would be helpful. Uh, so yeah, to that point, I think uh, I think uh, uh, people in the uh, materials management, even purchasing right now, is extremely Important. And we did have some good ideas just yesterday. The days are running into each other. When yeah. we said what to do if somebody does have to spend time at your center, you know, and there's no patients, what to do, how yeah. to keep them busy. We've, we have like. posted a lot of information about mm -hmm. activities that you can be doing uh, during this, uh, I use the term loosely, downtime. And for new people, it's ASCPodcast.com. Thank you. Just look through that. And I, is that somebody's I don't know. We have I'm a frog-like like sound coming on board. I'm not quite scratchy. sure who it is. I don't know if it's in our system, but if somebody's not talking, <laughs> if they mute. Or if there is a frog online, please. <laughs> please. Please log off. <laughs> uh, Here's Judy with her little wooded background. There. <laughs> Sorry, I guess everybody can't see it, it must be somebody. It must be either Lisa or Brian. Um, because I'll, drop, I'll, I'll, drop, I'll drop off. It's okay. Or yeah. yeah. Okay. Thanks, uh, Brian. Thank you. Uh, any other, uh, so are, are there any questions for uh, Lisa while she's online here? And I, I, I thank you so much for your time, Lisa. This has uh, been extremely generous. Oh, it was Brian. <laughs> Brian must have had a frog there. <laughs> any, uh, any questions for Lisa? 
Okay, uh, feel free to stay on, online, Lisa. I did want to uh, to start talking about what are you going to do? In other words, before you start working from home, there's a whole list of things that you should be considering. You know, obviously take materials with you to be able to manage uh, your board minutes because you're going to be doing board meetings, uh, you know, offline. You're going to have to, the board is going to have to be making these decisions about uh, starting up again. Uh, you might want to run your committee and your staff meetings remotely. Uh, again, anybody that's on furlough that you invite to one of these meetings, you're going to have to pay them for that. Uh, this can be on paper or electronic. Consider saving documents electronically on a password-protected and preferably encrypted laptop. So before you leave, take as much information as you can. Put it onto uh, you know a laptop. If you are a client of AHS, you already have an extranet, most likely, uh, which we use through Dropbox, which is HIPAA compliant, uh, to organize all of your materials remotely. Um, uh, you should also include, oh, other great suggestions. Our, our team uh, did some brainstorming this morning to think about all those things you need to take. And this is posted on the website. You should also include contact information for all of your employees, your board members and providers and contracted providers, including anesthesia providers, for example, anesthesia providers. Take a copy of your policy and procedure manual, even if it's on paper, uh, including the emergency plan, medical staff bylaws, infection control plan, because those are probably going to go under undergo a, a number of significant uh, renovations over the next couple weeks, months, a uh, list of all of your vendors and consider taking your contract binder or a copy of your contract binder with you for reference so that you can get a hold of those people right away. Um, take uh, an inventory of your supplies that are on hand and what you will need before you start up again as possible. Uh, and if possible, get a list of all the expiration dates uh, for all of your drugs so that you can reorder them uh, if the expiration uh, occurs prior to reopening. Uh, make sure that you reset your min-max settings on your refrigerators as soon as you reopen. Uh, and as soon as you reopen, check to see if the temperatures were outside the appropriate range so that you determine whether the medication is still viable. Uh, empty the staff and patient refrigerator prior to shutting down. Yes, just for the, uh, the smell. Um, provide, uh, if you are a client of Amateur Healthcare Strategies, please provide your alternate contact information while you are not on site so that we can provide updates and assist as you begin operations. For those of you that are clients of AHS, we will um, uh, we will assist you. Uh, we'll maintain whatever we need to maintain while you're um uh, while your operation is not fully functional, we'll do the communications with C. We'll help you with the communications with the Department of Health, et cetera, just like we always do. Uh, again, for HS clients, you know, uh, work with your uh, with HS uh, uh, to scan or copy any additional documents that you might need while you're working remotely. Uh, Alex and John, that's me, are, are the access rights administrators, so we can lock down specific folders so not everybody has access to it. Uh, make sure all of your supplies are off the floor in the event of flooding. Who knows what's going to happen while you're not on site? So, I mean, you should be doing this anyway. They shouldn't be on the floor, but uh, it's a good double check just to walk through your facility, make sure everything is safe. Unplug all unused equipments and obviously keep your file servers on so that you can uh, access them and make sure that they continue to be backed up. Uh, reach out to your pharmacy consultant about how to handle refrigerated drugs. Reach out to your vendors of frozen allografts to inquire about how to maintain them during the extended period of shutdown. Uh, consider forwarding company mail to a designated person during the shutdown. Um, and as we've mentioned yesterday, we created a document that will provide some advice about uh, what you can do from home. Uh, and that's uh, posted on our website. That is all the content I have. I'm waiting for any other questions. Uh, any comments from uh, our staff? Anything that I've forgotten to talk about? Okay. The go for press it. press conference, did, did you go through all that stuff? 
Um, yeah. Uh, so I did take some notes from the press conference. Let me just see here. So let's uh, let's just recap a couple things here. Um, okay. Okay. I Adana's think somebody's. On. I don't know. Yeah, she's if not. She's, uh, she's not. Uh, Donna, no. please feel free to call in if you yep. want to. Um, so let's just recap something very important. If you are an ASC or clinic effective on Sunday, it is very likely that you will need to shut down. Hang on. Okay, Donna's calling. Hi, Donna, you are on. You might want to unmute yourself, Donna. So as I was saying, as I'm waiting for Donna to connect, if you are a New York City or a New York State Ambulatory Surgery Center clinic effective on Sunday, it is very, li very likely that you will need to shut down by Sunday. There are civil penalties for failure to follow the state's mandate. If you stay open, you will need to make sure that you can fully justify your decision and that the cases you are doing are critical to the patients. That means documenting uh, in your board minutes the decision that you made, the types of cases you expect to do. On top of that, two things, keep a log of all the cases that you've canceled to justify that you are, to show that you are indeed uh, looking at the cases and canceling those that you don't feel are uh, elective or absolutely essential. And then for every case that you do, use the form that we've provided on the website uh, to document the decision-making process on that. Donna, can you, I, we can't hear you if you're trying to talk. Check your, uh, make sure you're not muted. Okay. Uh, sorry, Donna. Yeah, it seems to happen every so often. Yeah. Um, uh, and again, uh, points that were made um, during the governor's conference, uh, uh, some things that he was saying, uh, basically, so this is another important point. One of the, the things that he uh, indicated is for the pop patient population over 70 years of age are being told to stay at home, should not be going in for surgery unless absolutely necessary. So again, as I had a conversation with one of our clients throughout the day is you might be deciding that those cases are are, uh, are, are things that you can continue to do, but your patient might have a different opinion based upon uh, you know the, the state mandates that are being uh, passed out right now. So if you're over 70 years of, old, of age, um, you know, you still have a right, obviously, to determine what is, uh, uh, you know, uh, where you go or what you do. You, the doctor, uh, you know, can use that as a decision-making, part of the decision-making process. Um, but uh, ultimately, I think some of this stuff will uh, inevitably be the patient that's just going to cancel on your behalf. Um, what do we know about public goods? Uh, Mary, again. Um, I, uh, Mary, I, is your question about whether we have to continue paying for it or what? Uh, while we're waiting for Mary's answer, uh, key, uh, for this is personal if you, uh, yes. Um, a good question. So the question is, we know that the public goods pool are something that we have to pay on a uh, monthly basis. Uh, if you don't file on time, uh, the next filing date will be the 31st, which I can't do math right now, is in about two weeks or less than two weeks. Um, I, I can't answer that. I, I have not seen any guidance on it, but given everything else that's going on and the fact that, uh, you know, one argument you can make is that, listen, I couldn't pay the tax because you told me to shut down and all of my staff had to go home. So I, I can't imagine them. Oh, and, and I guess the point I'll make is over the years, uh, in my dealings with the, uh, uh the public goods pool people is they've been very good about, uh, waiving penalties and fines. So I guess I can pretty much comfortably say that if, uh, if you're not able to pay on time, if you're not able to file on time, uh, uh, sending a letter. And if you need contact information, I'd be glad to give that to you. I don't think that's going to be a problem. I can't, I don't want to officially state that, but in the past, they have been very good about waiving fees and, and penalties uh, during those times. 
Um, it's hard to see on a personal. Yeah. Uh, one thing to remind people, if you do have a ventilator, um, the state is asking for it. Please contact the Department of Health. The telephone number is 518-281-5120. And feel free to lend your ventilator uh, to the effort. They will reimburse you. I don't know how that they're going to do that, but they, they have uh, said that they're, uh, they're willing to reimburse you for it. Again, the number at DOH, if you have a ventilator, is 518-281-5120. Um, the governor is telling everybody to remain indoors to the greatest extent to protect the health of, uh, to make your, protect your health. Uh, again, reiterating hospitals have been ordered next week statewide to cease non-essential surgery. Now he didn't, to the best of my knowledge, I think I listened to the whole thing. I don't think he actually specifically called out ambulatory surgery centers, but I can't imagine that he didn't mean to tell surgery centers also that there's deceased non-essential surgery. But to that end, it wasn't specifically stated during the conference. I have not seen. Does any of any of my staff, have you read the actual official order yet? Okay. Uh, it hasn't been posted yet. Okay. So we will post that and I will... Uh, I, I will also uh, provide a link to it on my LinkedIn as soon as we get a general remind me when that uh, happens. Um, uh, again, this is a good time to re reiterate, go to our website, ASCPodcast.com. If you are um, on LinkedIn, uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. The name is John Gailey, G-O-E-H-L-E. I accept everybody that uh, asks and you can see my feed and, and I, I post a lot um, uh, during the day. A lot of it is about the podcast, obviously, but uh, we'll try to push this information out there uh, throughout the weekend and into next week. I, I would anticipate that we will have another live podcast on Monday. Hopefully we don't have to do it over the weekend, but if we do, we, we will. Um, we are uh, trying to get some uh, lawyers on. Um, we've had all kinds of scheduling problems with that. Believe it or not, they're very busy right now. Um, but we'll try to get some guidance on this, uh, well, in all aspects, especially employment law. Um, Bruce Smith, if you have anything to say, I know that uh, you're a good friend of mine out of Syracuse, uh, a lawyer. Uh, I don't see you on right now. But um, if you have anything to add here, uh, it would, it's always great to have a lawyer on uh, to uh, talk things through. So if you have anything to say, feel free to call in, hit that call in button. Um, Donna, I know you had a question uh, and it sounds like you couldn't connect with us. Uh, can you post it to us or email? Um, or if there was a comment, whatever you want to share with the rest of us, uh, feel free to do that. Or it, worst comes to worst, just call Jenna on the phone and she can pass that information on. Uh, we still have a lot of listeners online, so I, I'll keep uh, talking. Hopefully, we'll keep getting questions here. Any other questions at this point? Okay, uh, continuing on with the governor's comments. Um, again, uh, the governor said he's not kidding, uh, that these are mandatory uh, orders that he is placing that, um, hang on, that, um, Jenna, can you read my email? Uh, an email just came in that might be relevant here, or, or Alex uh, from McConville Considine here in Rochester. And it seems to be somewhat relevant. Uh, read it quickly, see if it might be effective for everybody here. Sorry. Um, welcome to the live. You know, by the way, none of us here are experts on broadcasting. So please be, bear with us as we're learning how to do all this stuff. So the governor stated that uh, uh, all mandatory, uh, that it is mandatory that you uh, follow the, the regulations. As Lisa talked about earlier, um, the, uh, you know, be very careful about pushing the limits on the cases that you have. I, I've had a number of conversations today with uh, 
uh, with centers that have really uh, kind of seemed to um, um, feel that uh, all of their cases that they they need to remain open. And and I'm not about to make a decision that a doctor you know should be making about this. But I think you have to be very careful and take. Uh, you know, we, we need to make sure that essential services are available. And if you're uh, uh, continuing to do services that are not necessarily essential and taking uh, resources offline or, or uh, not allowing uh, those essential services to continue, you have to be very careful. And we've got a question. Um, we are a facility that, that is providing essential services. What do we do about employees who decide they do not want to come in due to their own health concerns, but that we have not furloughed due to a reduction in staffing needs? So this particular facility is providing a service that I think uh, is justifiable and being essential, uh, but they're experiencing a situation, they are one of our clients, that uh, their employees, I believe, are starting to uh, say that they don't want to come in because they're concerned about the health consequences of it. Um, uh, and they have not furloughed those individuals. So if you have not furloughed those individuals, if you have not uh, uh, um, uh, um terminated their employment in some way. They are still employees of yours, I believe. And again, I'd love to have a lawyer um, call in but does <laughs> and it tell me about what? this, but I don't think you can, you can't force people to come in, but you, but if they're, if you have hired them for a specific purpose and they're not coming in, um, then, um, and they're not sick or That's have not I told you that they're Sarah. sick, um, then uh, you do have a right, I believe, to uh, to terminate their employment at that point. I don't think that's what you really want to do. I think that the whole thing is, you know, what what's going to happen with their I'm wondering, uh, like, employment. if they're compromised. Is, is there some allowance if somebody is older, they're over 65, they have a compromised yeah, immune system? I think some allowances may be made yeah. for something like that. I, I would certainly encourage you at home or to, right, to loosely interpret your uh, sick policy, your PTO policy, um, et cetera. Go ahead, Lori. I see you waving. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that, John. And perhaps you could put them in a situation that they would feel more comfortable. And, you know, I wouldn't make it known to all the employees, but if you have a valued employee that is able to come in, but is afraid of, let's pretend patient care, but they're excellent on the phone and yeah. can do your assessments, then maybe you want to assign them that task. Um, that's, uh, here's a good example of why you want cross training, but you know, if you can make it work for the both of you, then that's the best situation. But I agree, you cannot force them to come to work. And there's a lot going on with regard to um, the employment situation, unemployment insurance or unemployment, um, um, short-term disability, et cetera, uh, more than we can talk about in a podcast like this. And again, that's something I want to get a lawyer on to talk about. I thought I had one this morning that fell through, uh, but we definitely will want to, um, somebody waving at me. Unfortunately, I have, okay. Um, Hang on, let me just put this another screen. There we go. Uh, so uh, any advice that we can get, uh, uh, anybody that uh, has uh, information in this regard, we'll, we'll try to get on the, uh, not only on the air, but also on our website here. A lot of that is going to, going to uh, continue to evolve as time goes on. Again, I know I'm repeating myself, but I want to give plenty of opportunity. Our listenership really hasn't dropped that much, so I'm assuming people are still listening. I, I did hear from Donna. Okay, go for it. Okay, well, two th she wants to confirm that you believe that they can continue to do urgent cases as long as they can prove urgency. And there's actually another email from her a little bit before, um, because the after they released the first um, executive order 
have requiring people to go down to 75%. The, let me get this right. The New York State Empire State Development Corporation issued guidance regarding what um, essential services um, are. And they do have, um, like the first one is essential healthcare operations and they have a list and unfortunately ASCs are not on it, but it doesn't say limited to, it just says health is health, essential healthcare operations, including, and then they have laboratories, hospitals, walk-in facilities, um, vet clinics, elder care, um, home health workers, doctor and dentist offices, nursing homes, medical and, uh, equipment. Uh, providers. Okay. So, so I would assume if a doctor's office can stay open and continue to do procedures, ASC, again, it's essential procedures only. Yeah. So again, to, to that point, again, uh, I know people have been bouncing on and off. Uh, at this point, we do believe that you can remain open if you provide, if you have uh, um uh, fully documented the reasons and the types of cases you're going to take on board. So there's three things you need to do. Number one, document, hold a board meeting and make a decision as to what types of cases you'll continue doing and whether you're going to stay open or not. Document this in the minutes of your board meeting. If you need help with this, uh, we've given some recommended policies on our website, ASCPodcast.com. If you're a client of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, we are writing those minutes for you. If you want to become a client of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, call me and we'll help you through that whole process. Um, and, uh, that's number one. Number two, document, uh, keep a log of all the cases that you're canceling because you've determined that they are not, um, uh, urgent, that they're not elective. Uh, that way you can justify the fact that you're pointing, that you, you're not, you're not just globally taking any case that you, uh, that you can get. And then third, for every case that you are doing that you've considered, um, uh, essential, uh, fill out a form. Again, we've provided that on the website. Um, for every single situation in which you have done that case uh, to justify that and document it in two ways. Document it in uh, the patient's file and then keep you a copy of that. I think we agreed, like, just create a binder uh, and throw all of those in there. Eventually, you're going to want to have a log of that. Did I miss anything, Steph? This last question, though, had reminded me the one that we just answered about furloughing uh employees that wanted that didn't want to come in because their own health needs. That's again, I think we talked about it. We've talked about it a couple of times, but you know, start talking to your staff or just what you know about them, whether there's people that would be willing to leave when you start cutting down your staff. If, if you get to pick and choose who might be more concerned, who has kids at home, right. who has elderly people they're living with so that the people that are staying are comfortable staying and that the people that really are having a difficult time coming to work because of other needs caused by this are able to go home just to make good decisions. You, you make a, another good point too, or something that just comes to mind is that as you're starting to make decisions about who to furlough, um, you might want to ask for volunteers. I never thought about this, but you're going to have staff that probably are working in the hospital already that might say, listen, you know, um, um, I can, I, you know, I'm needed at the hospital. I, I, as much as I love working in the surgery center and you are the greatest, um, 
uh, right now, right, exactly. Yeah. Right now, I think my best use is, uh, is in the hospital. So, you know, feel free to reach out, uh, you know, as you start making some of these very tough decisions as to who to furlough, um, you know, the, the people that are going to have a harder time finding a job during this time are, are going to be our non-healthcare professional. I think nurses won't have any particular problem, but the non-healthcare professionals will have a tough time. So any, any of those that we can keep employed, you know, by, by sending the other ones off, but I got to emphasize again, I do believe that this is probably, in many cases, a temporary situation. We might be shutting down, and and what's happening in the background is the uh, the, the the local hospital, the government, uh, is thinking about all of those additional resources that they're going to need out there, and and they might be coming to us within a week or two weeks or month, uh, and then asking us to uh, to ramp up our our services again, and and they'll be very specific about what what we need to do. So it's extremely important that we don't shut everything down. Don't I don't think you should be uh, laying people off because it, uh, ramping back up is going to be very difficult. Try to do that furlough. Um, you know, remain optimistic that, that perhaps we have some, uh, you know, some other uses out there. And we're going to have to be very innovative here too, I think, uh, as we go back online. Any other comments? Um, any more questions out there? I don't want to keep, this is a Friday, right? <laughs> it feels like it's, Monday of the following week right now. It's about 3 p.m. Um, and I don't want to prolong this any longer, though my audience has not dropped off. So if there are any questions, is there anything? Uh, so uh, we have a, a question from Denise uh, out in Poughkeepsie. How are you doing, Denise? Um, have a, a, a doctor asking for this mandate in writing. Jenna, I think you said it hasn't been posted yet. Is that correct? Nope, I keep refreshing and it's not up. They okay. did just update their um, coronavirus website with the things he talked about this morning. So I'm guessing they're probably going to be doing that soon. Right. But um, as of yet on his executive order page, there isn't anything since yesterday. Just a couple notes. Uh, C, uh, for C surveyors, and I think... They're all online right now. Um, uh, has a COVID nineteen webinar starting now. I'm going to have to bow out of that, but uh, I'll I'll listen to the recorded message afterwards. I believe that is all about um, uh, how to, and we'll we'll listen to it because they're going to ask. Uh, uh, they're they're going to be giving guidance to surveyors on what to be surveying when they are on site uh, in an ambulatory surgery center right now. And and Lori pointed out that the surveys are, some of the surveys are still continuing. Like she has a Medicare uh, deemed status follow up survey coming up this week, I believe. And that has not been canceled. So uh, um, keep in mind, there is still a survey activity going out, uh, going on. Uh, can somebody concern, confirm, I believe somebody just said that there's an ASCA call at 3 p.m. Anybody know what that's about? I wonder if they meant AAAC. Uh, any other questions? Thank you for all of your uh, questions online. I'm trying to monitor everything. Anything on the uh, emails? Staff, anything on uh, that you can think of that we haven't talked about? Um, it's focusing on infection prevention survey. Thank you, Ann. Yes, um, uh, Ann Geyer was is actually listening to it on online, and right now uh, their focus is on infection prevention surveying. Again, I, I guess that's this is another good point to make. Uh, and uh, Laurie, feel free to, to step in here. There is okay. We know that you know some of the rules are, are changing right now. Um, and, but one thing that we can't compromise on, especially in the current environment 
is uh, the safety of our patients and infection control things. So you should not be uh, compromised in any way. We talked about, you know, the importance of still maintaining fast, uh, face masks, not reusing face masks, uh, if at all possible. Laura, do you want to just talk a little bit about that again? Well, I know that there is um, some guidance from the CDC that you can uh, clean or reuse, uh, like the respirator, the N95s. Um, and one of the centers uh, reached out earlier to ask about that because their anesthesia providers are probably going to use it when it comes to um, intubation of patients. And, and there is a great greater risk of being exposed to the respiratory um, uh, portion, the droplets, et cetera. Um, and my, my advice would be to, um, number one, if you're going to reuse your masks, make sure they're, they're one provider specific. So if I'm going to reuse my mask, make sure I'm the only one that's going to use that mask, not right. somebody else. Well said. Number two, if I'm going to reuse the mask, then put a surgical mask over that. And then that will help prevent any contamination of the N95 mask during the um, process to which you would be uh, at a greater risk of exposure. Um, I, I think that would be prudent, um, you know, and best practice, again, so that you're not having the, the mask directly from patient to patient to patient. You have a barrier between that mask and each patient, if, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, when it comes to any other reusable stuff, um, if it is in direct patient care, I wouldn't reuse it. Um, if there's a way to work around that, as, as we mentioned, um, in prior, um, uh, lessons that, uh, if it's your cleaning staff or whatnot, um, designate them to certain, um, areas, uh, of, of working. If they're moving, um, contaminated linen and that sort of that sort of stuff um if they wanted to put an overgown on they can do that to protect themselves but don't put any of the linen against you because once you do now you're contaminated um it's it's practice that we should be doing every day that we don't normally wear a gown for but now uh, we really want to make sure that we're not um contaminating our contaminating ourselves any more than um necessary um but uh Infection control is going to be key in helping fight this virus. Um, it's not, it'll, you know, obviously the social distancing, which I don't like the word social distancing because we still need to be social so we can stay sane. Um, but the, you know, the, the polite distancing between people um, is, is essential, but so is continuing to maintain a clean and sanitary environment that's safe for people to come in um, and to leave from, you know? So I think that any surveyor will be extremely um, keen on that, whether or not that's their forte or not, that's, I'm sure that's what's gonna be thrown down our throats, um, you know, in the coming days, weeks, uh, right now. Um, so I, I would just say, stay diligent, um, keep your infection preventionists off, on speed dial. Right. Um, you know, that sort of thing, but, you know, safe practices, you, you're going to be doing, you're doing them at home, doing them at work is, is key, um, to keep the spread from person to person unknown to unknown. 
We did have I, another question. Trust. It has been a question we've answered, but mm -hmm. uh, we do have people, people bouncing in and out. So, so go ahead, Sue. So um, Cindy says, sorry to ask again. I've already answered, but do you know if or when Governor Cuomo will shut down all ASCs or if we just remain open and take procedures if the doctor feels it's necessary? And I feel, I believe we're saying, you know, continue with essential Right. So uh, again, there's three things we want you to do in this situation is have an emergency meeting of your governing body in order to make a determination as what cases are emergency and which are not. I will tell you that uh, many, if not most of the centers that we work with on a regular basis are making a determination that at least temporarily they're going to cease operations because they cannot justify continued operations in the current environment that, that those cases that they do consider to be non-essential are so small that they can't uh, operate uh, uh, financially, cannot remain financially viable during that time frame. I think another part of that is that they want to be prepared for that time when they might be called upon to do other, you know, more urgent cases in the future. Um, if you do that, so the governing body, you have a governing body meeting to make that determination. If you decide that your cases are urgent, and, and again, I have, you know, quite a number of them that are deciding that, even orthopedic facilities that are deciding that those are, are urgent, and I understand that, then uh, fully document that decision. So you have a right to do that, at least at the present time. There is no guidance, but we will continue to monitor this, and we'll get back to you um, if we do, uh, do hear anything differently, or if they're much more specific about what cases are um, are urgent or are uh, elective and versus what is not. Uh, third is that, so first is have a governing body meeting. Uh, second is documented. Third is make sure that you um, uh, keep a log of all the cases that you're canceling so that you can uh, explain to somebody outside, justify to somebody outside that you are indeed canceling those cases because we know that not everything you do in your center is going to be non-elective or is going to be elect, uh, non-elective. Um, and then fourth is for those elective procedures that you're performing, uh, document in every single medical record using the form that we've provided on our website and we've talked about before uh, why you've decided to continue with that case. And I think uh, at least at this point, you uh, have good justification for remaining open. Now, that being said, you know, keep the safety of your staff, keep the safety of your patients in mind. You know, don't take any unnecessary risks. Don't bring an 80-year-old 80 into your center to do cataract surgery because your doctor has decided, you know, you're going to have to step in as nurses here, you know, to help them to understand that perhaps that's not a, a good idea, that that patient's at risk and that the procedure is perhaps something that can be held off. So, I know mean, that's an obvious case. I, well, I think it's an obvious case. Uh, I, I know that the world is full of a lot more great ones than that, but you just have to make sure that we're uh, not only doing the legal thing, but doing the right thing right now. And and keep in mind, you know, I, I think there's a lot of opportunities for us in the future. Um, and I don't think that future is going to be too far away. Um, and we want to be prepared for that. So if you continue to do uh, procedures that everybody else in the country thinks is uh, elective, and then down the road, they call upon you to be able to do, uh, you know, some things that are very urgent that uh, uh, you're not going to be there for them. So uh, keep your resources and and uh, be ready at a moment's notice to be able to take on um, what we're going to need to deal with uh, in the near term. Any other comments? Our listenership, well, it was dropping and now it's back up again. So any other comments? Any other questions? Okay. I think with that, uh, I do want to remind everybody uh, we have a lot. Um, we have a, we're, there's just uh, every, uh, I woke up this morning thinking that I'd have a two paragraph uh, email to everybody today because we had said everything that could possibly be said. And of course, how long did it last? Um, so, uh, 
that's that's where we are right now. There's just a lot of material. We'll continue giving that material to you on these uh, periodic podcasts. Expect another live podcast on Monday. I don't think uh, there will be a reason to do anything over the weekend. If we do, we'll try to push it out uh, through the regular channels. I, I do want everybody to kind of hopefully have a good weekend. Um, but be prepared for another podcast on Monday. Uh, we are also working uh, very diligently right now and coming up with some opportunities to uh, kind of get some education during uh, during this downtime here so that we can get everybody up and running and fully ready to, uh, to go on operation. A big part of what we're going to be doing over the next uh, week as, as a company with our clients is, is starting the transition process from what do you do if you shut down to how do you get prepared for opening up again? And how do you make sure that you're not... Uh, uh, that you're able to uh, to uh, to start up again or or transition to whatever the government or the local hospital is going to want us to do. So that's something we'll be working on. We'll be, you know, publishing information on the website to do that. Working with our clients that uh, uh, that we work with uh, to to help them through that process. Again, for those of you that are uh, clients of Ambitory Healthcare Strategies, we are here for you. We are uh, working in the background. We are, you know, we'll still be here while you are. Uh, uh, working from home. So don't forget to, uh, well, obviously don't forget to use us. You are, you're clearly doing that. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, give us uh, some guidance, but we do need to know your contact information and we do need to know, um, uh, uh whether you're shut down or not. I think we, we are aware of that for the most part, but, uh, we have so many clients that it's been difficult, um, to, to keep track of that. If you're not a client, um, you listen, we give them a lot of uh, information out there for free. And, and uh, at this point, we're not worried about that. Um, so uh, if you still have questions, uh, feel free to call me, uh, 585-594-1167. I'll try to help you through it. Um, and uh, just recognize that when the phone started ringing at 11.45 today, uh, every one of my phones was ringing. I had to throw some at Sue so that she and could answer some of the call. Phone. And then she was on her phone. Uh, it became very yeah, hectic. And I, I please don't take it personally. If I didn't take your phone call, it, uh, I, I was just trying to handle an awful lot at the same time. And that's why I really think the, the podcast has been very beneficial. Uh, we're reaching out not only to our, our, our own um facilities. But clearly, when I look at the, the list of people that are online, um, uh, uh, the vast majority of them are not clients of ours. So hopefully we're helpful with that. Uh, feel free to reach out to us at comments at ASCpodcast.com uh, with questions. Uh, if you want to have some material covered uh, that we have not, we're trying to predict what all of you need. And we are getting a lot of great feedback from our audience about that. Uh, so send the comments at uh, ASCpodcast.com, uh, link with me uh, through LinkedIn, you know, uh, what do you call it? I keep calling it friend, but um, uh, become a connection. Look for my name, John, J-O-H-N, Gailey, G-O-E-H-L-E, and you can find that. We also are on YouTube now, same name, John uh, uh, John Gailey there. Uh, you can see our live uh, feed, so you can see all the behind-the-scenes stuff that's going on here, which is really exciting, um, uh, as well as uh, get all this content. With that, we do have to cover some legal things. So where is that? Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry about this. Well, that's it for this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. Join us again, and please consider becoming a patron by going to our website. And by the way, we've gotten a number of new uh, uh, patrons. Thank you very much. That helps pay the bills, and they are going up. Uh, as we uh, try to expand our reach here. So uh, if you want to become a patron of uh, the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, go to our website at ASCpodcast.com and spread the word with your 
your friends and uh, people that you know about this podcast. Uh, and uh, do us the honor of hitting the subscribe button. If you hit the subscribe button, you'll know when we go live at any time. You can do that in two ways. You can hit the subscribe button on the podcast, on uh, any of the podcast uh, um, um, uh, apps, or you can go to YouTube, and and whenever we go live on YouTube, we'll also be there. The sound editor for this episode is Susan Cronkite. Executive producer is John Gailey. Research assistance provided by Susan Cronkite, Jenna Alvarez, Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Borneman, Zach Calritis, and uh, Lori Rodericks. Music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah. The ESC Podcast with John Gailey is hosted on Podbean and is available in all major podcast channels. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion when reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues. Attorneys and other professionals should be uh, consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. We would like to thank our sponsors, Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, Surgical Information Systems, and Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions. And as of yesterday, our newest uh, uh, sponsor is uh, BHG Funding. For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring with the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com. Have a great weekend, everyone. Talk to you on Monday.